It is uh, a great honor and a joy to welcome Reverend Dr. David Lose, the president of Lutheran Theological Seminary at Philadelphia. He uh, was just installed in this last academic year in the fall. Uh, and formerly, he was at Luther Seminary in that holy state of Minnesota, um, in St. Paul, where he was a professor of biblical preaching and uh, uh, also was a dean for some time. And so he is a native of our area, um, eastern Pennsylvania, serving churches also in the New Jersey area. And also, um, you may know Pastor Douglas and I uh, went to Nashville once upon a time to go to the Festival of Homiletics. Um, and uh, it's just a national conference that is fantastic. And uh, I think yet you have had a great part in that formation and was always one of the guest preachers there and lecturers, among many others. And now I think that is now harbored at Luther Seminary in St. Paul. And so uh, I've been four times now to that. And so one feels like one knows this person from a distance. But I also, and many preachers listen to uh, the workingpreacher.org, which is a preacher's um, inspiration and guide on the text for each Sunday. Uh, and it's great to just put on your iPad and you get a 20-minute lecture series with three professors from Luther Seminary and Old Testament, New Testament, and whatever they add in there. And um, it just brings you life and hope. And so I try to change all the names of the people that I'm trying to quote from. They all seem to come from a source directly to this man somehow along the way. And our council and some of the staff also subscribes to his um, blog, In the Meantime, which is great uh, daily reflection on um, a theological theme. And uh, the creativity just awes me that one can keep coming up with these things day in and day out and have a young family and all this to do. But he's now living in Kenneth Square, and is, we are blessed to have him with us today. So I welcome the Reverend Dr. David Lose in Thanks. person, right here. <laughs> Thank you, Diane. I'm a huge believer in expectation management. Um, <laughs> and and I, yeah, I don't think I can live up to that. <laughs> just, just letting you know. <laughs> um, it really is a pleasure to be with you this morning and to bring you greetings from the students and the faculty and the staff at the Lutheran Theological Seminary at Philadelphia. But not just greetings, also thanks because you, this congregation, and individuals of this congregation have been huge supporters of our school for a long time, and that's been just vital. Um, It's a very hard time to be a seminary in the church right now. I don't know if you know this, but about 50 years ago, seminaries were typically funded 100% from the national church, and that level of support is down to about 7%. Uh, And the difference is not made up by tuition, because we are hoping not to graduate congregational leaders with tremendous amounts of student debt. Um, And so a significant amount comes from congregations and from individuals who support us. And I just want to thank you for that. We all have a stake in how seminaries fare, because that's where our leaders for the future are coming So thank you for your prayers, for your support, for all that you do to help us raise up the next generation of leaders. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the living Lord Jesus the Christ. Amen. So a few years ago I was back uh, home in Myerstown for a family reunion uh, and seeing cousins and relatives I hadn't seen for years because we had moved from the East Coast out to Minnesota or as we would always say around this time of year, Minnesota. (laughs) 
Um, and at that reunion, one of my cousins brought greetings to the family from uh, her dad, one of my favorite uncles. At that particular time, he was pretty far along in uh, his struggle with Alzheimer's. He was living in a long-term care facility, and he was not independent enough to make this kind of journey. And so my cousin brought us his greetings, and this is the message he told her to share. Tell my family that although I do not remember them, I still love them. That greeting has stayed with me ever since, especially as my mom, his younger sister, has begun her own journey with Alzheimer's. And each time I remember those words, they call to mind both this kind of poignant grief, but mixed with a quiet gladness. The grief comes from all those childhood memories I have of a beloved uncle with this really sharp wit and this deep and generous wisdom who over time slowly but surely lost most of his memory. At the same time, I can't help but feel a bit of a resilient, even defiant gladness that some emotions, like love, live beyond, persist beyond even our memory. Because even though he may have forgotten much, including members of his extended family, yet he nevertheless remembered that we are still bound to one another in love. Well, I thought of my uncle once again when I was reading this passage from Jeremiah. I'll be honest, it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It describes God's intention to take the matter of Israel's relationship with God into God's own hands by way of making a new covenant. Let's listen to the words from Jeremiah again. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, says the Lord. This decision to forge a new covenant with Israel arises from two sources. First, it comes from God's own heartbrokenness over Israel's infidelity, their inability to keep right relationship with God. But it also comes from God's relentless commitment to preserve, to hold on to God's beloved people. Jeremiah continues, It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors, says the Lord, when I took them from by the hand to bring them out from Egypt, a covenant that they broke, even though I was like their husband, says the Lord. Israel, you see, broke God's covenant and commands over and over and over again. They just couldn't keep it. And so in response to their disobedience, God doesn't take vengeance or get angry. God makes a new covenant. Now, this new covenant will differ from the old one in a number of ways, but most especially, I think, that it's a covenant that is made and ratified and, most importantly, kept, not by sacrifice or any ritual practice, but by God's own decision to forget 
God's own decision to forget Israel's sinfulness and betrayal and infidelity. God doesn't just pass over or absolve or forgive this time around. God also forgets, erasing even the memory of the breach of relationship. For I will forgive their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will remember their sin no more. Which is why I think I remember my uncle. Because at this point in the story, it sounds like God is having a little memory difficulty of his own. And truth be told, this is just a tad uncomfortable to think about. I mean, memory is so central to who we are, which is why dementia and Alzheimer's are so terrifying. If we lose our memory, we wonder, will we really be ourselves? If we lose our memory, how will we know who we are or where we are? If we lose our memory, what else do we have left? I'm pretty sure that if you have a family member who has suffered from memory loss, whether by disease or illness, you know just what I'm talking about. And yet here, according to Jeremiah, it sounds like the God of Israel, the God who neither slumbers or sleeps, is forgetting, choosing to forget. And I wonder what we're to make of this. Is this just a metaphor, a gorgeous play of words, or has God really forgotten their sins? I mean, that whole golden calf thing, just forgotten? The running after all those other foreign gods, has God blotted that from memory? Can God really forget? If so, what else does God forget? All these questions remind us that this idea of God forgetting is startling, it's unexpected, and it's just a little uncomfortable because we're normally so afraid of losing our memory that it's very difficult to contemplate. And yet, here's the thing. If I'm completely honest with you, there are things in my life that I wish I could forget. More, maybe, than I'd like to count. Do you know what I mean? I'm thinking particularly about some of those um, insults or injuries that people have done that I can't seem to let go of. Sometimes when I think back, I'm not even sure people meant to hurt my feelings, and yet they're so hard to let go of. Or even more so, the hard things that I've said, the hurtful things that I've done out of anger or reaction to people I love most in the world. Wouldn't it be great to just forget some of that stuff and to start over to walk into a new relationship? I sometimes think that maybe that's part of the hard part of being human, that we have so much difficulty forgetting the mistakes we've made or the mistakes others have made against us, and so it becomes really, really hard to imagine a future that's any different from our past. I definitely think that's part of what's going on with Israel in this part of the story. They've made so many mistakes that they can't forget what it's like to not trust God. They can't forget what it's like not to be afraid. They can't forget their penchant for running after any other God in the neighborhood. And most of all, they can't forget their persistent pattern of unfaithfulness. And not being able to forget these things, they seem doomed to repeat them. And so Jeremiah the prophet comes along and tells Israel that God has decided to do 
What Israel can't do for itself, forget. In response to their failure, God just refuses to recognize it. In response to their infidelity, God calls Israel faithful. In response to their sin and brokenness, God's memory has to be pushed and prodded to find any recollection at all. God just forgets. And God does the same with us. God looks at all those hurtful things we've said or done and will not remember them. God just refuses to call them to mind. God decides that these mistakes and misdeeds and hurts and regrets, while maybe they're important to us, will not define us, not in God's eyes. God chooses to forget so that we might move into new relationship with God and with each other. And if God forgets, what do you think? Might we forget also? Psychologists actually tell us that our memories aren't nearly as reliable as we'd like to think. Memory, you see, is a lot less like a video camera, which is, I think, the way most of us imagine it, and a lot more like an old-fashioned still photograph camera, the kind where you had to put new plates in between each picture, so it took a really long time to take. We actually, over time, hold on to just a few of these photos, and when we need to remember something, we call one or two back up, up again and fill in all the blanks surrounding those pictures with a plausible narrative. And we do this so quickly that we tend to think our memory is unfailable. Now, I know it's hard to believe that our memory isn't that good, but if I had said instead that your spouse's memory isn't that good, or your friend's or parent's memory, you'd be right with me. One experiment in particular illustrated this pretty well. They had two groups, we can almost imagine it, two groups who were both shown the same picture of a uh, street corner with a yield sign. And then a few minutes later, both sides were shown two pictures, the same picture, a street with a yield sign, and another picture of a stop sign. And the simple experiment was to ask the both groups what picture they had seen three minutes earlier. Now, the only difference was that one of those groups, in between the first picture of the yield sign and the second set of pictures, yield and stop sign, one of those groups was, told, was asked a question in the middle that went like this. Was there a car parked beside the stop sign? Now, the group that had no interruption just saw a picture, and then a couple minutes later, two pictures. 90% of the people got the answer right. They picked the yield sign, which makes you think, what was going on with 10% of those people? <laughs> the other side, though, that had the intervening question, half of them got it right. Half of them got it wrong, which according to the scientists that ran the experiment demonstrates just how malleable or flexible or even fragile our memories are. Memories can be changed and regularly are. Memories can be influenced by stories. And that's what happens each and every week we come to church. You're drawn into another story, an intervening, even interrupting story. A story that's not about all the things that went wrong last week, but about all the things that might go right in the week to come. It isn't a story about what you lack, 
but instead about all the things with which you've been blessed. And it's not a story that, looks to, that seeks to expose your shortcomings or failings. Instead, it's a story that lifts up and celebrates your gifts. It's God's story. And this story tells you again and again that you are loved and have value, that you are precious and have infinite worth in God's eyes. It's a story that begins all the way back with Jeremiah, telling the people that God will remember their sin no more, and continues through the Bible all the way up to Jesus. We're hanging on the cross. Jesus prays that God would forgive and forget the sins of even those who are crucifying him. And this story continues. As each and every week, we come together and start our service often by confessing our sins. Confessing, that is, our hurts and our disappointments and our regrets. That we might hear the good news that God has already forgotten those things and sends us out to live lives of freedom. So if God can forget, can we? Can we perhaps let go of some of those past memories that haunt us and live into a new story of possibility and life? It won't be easy, I know. Some of those memories are very painful. And others we've held on to for so long, we're not sure what it would be like to live without them. But as you struggle to claim that freedom, know this. God knows us inside and out and loves and accepts us just as we are. And this love, it sets us free because some things, like love, are stronger than memory. Tell my family that although I do not remember them, I still love them. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. To tell you the truth, I don't know if those statements are exactly the similar or maybe fairly different. Maybe it doesn't matter. What I do know is that when push comes to shove, God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Forgetting all the wrong and holding on to us in love, even when it's hard to love ourselves. God forgives and forgets and sends us forth in a new day to live as God's beloved children. Thanks be to God. Amen.